Welcome to Documentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each week. This week we're discussing OJ Made in America, the 2016 cultural tale of modern America, a saga of race, celebrity, media, violence, and the criminal justice system. Two decades after its unforgettable climax, it continues to fascinate, polarize, and develop new chapters. This ESPN 30 for 30 documentary is from Peabody and Emmy Award-winning director Ezra Edelman. It's currently streaming on Hulu and ESPN.com. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. When I think of OJ, the first thing I think of is that white Bronco slow chase. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had been out to dinner that night and got home and it was on TV. Yeah. And watching it, I can remember that very clearly. And I also remember the verdict very clearly. I was at work that day. Yeah. And I remember it had been on court TV for months. And court TV was a thing. I don't even know if there's still a court TV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if there is either. I remember being at work in the cubicle farm and somebody said that there was a verdict and it was not guilty. And I didn't know anybody who thought he was innocent Mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. I still don't think I do. Yeah. I remember so the Bronco Chase my mother was completely wrapped up in this story she's where I get my true crime interest from she was completely wrapped up in the whole thing the Bronco Chase the court proceedings the whole nine and so I have this memory of watching the Bronco Chase on the TV above the bar at a restaurant where I worked at the time but I don't know if that was as it happened or if that was just like a news broadcast later that night or mm-hmm. the next day or what. So that memory's a little bit fuzzy. But when the verdict was read, I do remember that I was at college and I was walking past the day room of the dorm and somebody said, oh, they're getting ready to read the O.J. Simpson verdict. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I know how that's going to go. I don't really need to see that. <laughs> and then I hear this like eruption of cheers from the day room where people were gathered around watching it and I was like what and somebody said he was not guilty and I was like why are people cheering I don't understand yeah I was so naive and disconnected from the story and how that was unfolding for people who weren't me yeah um that I was totally flabbergasted (laughs) that people would be rejoicing in that and after watching this documentary I am curious to know how many of those people who were cheering really did think that he wasn't guilty But I also wonder, does it matter to them if they think he's guilty or not guilty after watching this documentary? Right. Because I feel like I really understand a lot better how you would be happy that he was found not guilty. Even if you didn't necessarily think he was innocent. Even if you didn't think he was innocent. Right. And I can totally see how you also might think, sure, there was a bloody glove there, but Mark Furman put it there. Whereas before, I didn't understand how that could even be a possibility. Mm -hmm. But now I do, after watching this. I can understand how people would feel that way. There's so much about that. There was so many layers to that that I had no idea about. And there's so much about it now that makes more sense to me now. And this documentary was, I think, seven hours altogether? Almost eight. Eight. So, I mean, it couldn't help but be incredibly thorough with that kind of runtime. And it just... Oh my gosh, it was really so interesting. And I, even the beginning, my husband and I are not sports fans at all. We don't watch football. We don't really get the hoopla around it. But 
even we watching in the very beginning when they were setting up for you why OJ was such a phenomenon when he was in college playing football, even we were looking at that footage and looking at each other like, whoa, because he could just barrel down a field and change directions on a dime and just slip past people. I mean, it was really, it was like choreography. It was amazing to watch, even for people who aren't sports fans. And so... Starting with that, they went to great lengths to set up for you why he was such a big deal, and then on into his professional football career, and then on through his marriage to Nicole, and through his showbiz career, and all these different things. And his business career. His business career. The murder itself, the trial, the you you spent so much time in each of these phases of his life that you really felt like you understood the whole picture a lot better, Mm -hmm. and the reactions of his friends, and the reactions of the community. I I just don't even know where to begin with all of it. I know that you could t- you, we could pick any one small piece of this documentary and talk about it for, for an hour. hour or yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I felt like this was the gold standard of documentaries because it was so well done. Mm-hmm. It was long and there was a lot of information, but it was so perfectly paced that it was never boring. Mm-hmm. We were fed the information and in bits that were easy to digest. It wasn't confusing at all. And the way the story was told and basically narrated to us, you know, we understood not just OJ's story, but the bigger picture and how OJ's story fit into the bigger picture. Right. And there are so many great stories Mm -hmm. in this film. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing. I think it's my favorite documentary of all time at this point. Right. I'm not an OJ fan. I mean, it's not because I like OJ Simpson or anything like that, but it's for all the reasons that you said. There's so much good stuff here. Mm -hmm. Well, and the story is so much more complex than I ever realized. If you had sat me down a year ago, even as recently as that, and said, you know, just summarize for me the whole O.J. Simpson thing. I would have said people worshipped him because he played football really well, and then he had a little showbiz career, and then he married a woman, and he roughed her up, and then he ended up killing her. And a lot of people rejoiced when he got off, when he was not convicted of that murder because they were still mad about the Rodney King situation. And then there were other people who were incredulous that he didn't get convicted. And so people split into those two camps and that's that. Mm-hmm. And that is so, that is such a gross oversimplification of what actually happened. I'm a little mad at myself for not knowing more about the context of the whole thing 20 some odd years ago that it happened. Yeah. For example, one of the first surprises in it to me was that I didn't realize how in his early career he had gone to such great lengths to sort of distance himself from the black community. Right. And, you know, there was at one point somebody asked how he felt about some issue or another. How do you feel as a black man Mm -hmm. about yada yada? Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. And like how that would sting if you were from the same community he was from and mm-hmm. he just yeah. suddenly acted like he had nothing to do with you and what you were facing. That was one of the great ironies that I came across in this documentary is that he turned his back on his community for most of his life. But yeah. then when it mattered, they all came to his support. Mm-hmm. But he didn't care at all about their causes mm-hmm. prior to then. Mm-hmm. Until it was useful yeah. to him to identify with them. Totally. Then they played the race card is what mm-hmm. you know, terminology that people like to use when they talk about the O.J. Simpson yeah. trial. But Yeah. This is another one of those stories, too, where you think if one person had reacted differently at a certain point, 
it would have had a completely different ending. And the moment that comes to mind for me is when uh, he and Nicole had been married for a while and they had some big, loud, vicious fight. And I think the cops had already been called to the house a time or two before, but this time was like really... And she actually came out to the cop, bloody from being roughed up like she was, and said, he's going to kill me. He's just, he's going to kill me. And OJ came out yelling to the cop that he wanted Nicole out of his house and he didn't need her anymore and blah, blah, blah. And the cop said to him, I'm going to have to take you in because you hit her, obviously. Mm-hmm. and But almost apologetically. Right. And OJ said, all right, let's, let me go get my shoes on. And the cop said, okay, go get your shoes on. And the next thing the cop knows, there's a car squealing out of the driveway and past him. Mm-hmm. And instead of chasing after him, putting out a call for other cops to be on the lookout for him, putting out a warrant, the reaction was basically, oh, that OJ. Yeah. What a scamp. Yeah. And this woman's bleeding in front of you and saying she genuinely feels fears for her life. Mm-hmm. There's no other person, there are few other people who would have gotten that reaction. Right. If, if he had not been O.J. Simpson football star and had just been O.J. Simpson teacher mm-hmm. or waiter. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he had gotten away with things all his life. Mm-hmm. Like his first wife had been his friend's girlfriend first. Mm-hmm. But... He decided he wanted her and got her, and everybody let him get away with it. Including the friend who was a loyal friend to him for years after. Yeah. So he had that mentality. He got what he wanted. I mean, he was a very smart man. And charming. Charming. Oh my God, could turn on the charm. Knew what to do, knew what to say, knew how to get his way. He was found not guilty. What surprised me most about the documentary was his current situation. The whole Las Vegas thing, I had no sight of. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I heard it and forgot it because I just didn't care that he'd been arrested in Las Vegas. Um, It sounded, I think I remember him being arrested, but it sounded like a much bigger deal than it turned out to be. Yeah. Well, the verdict, and not the verdict, but the um, The sentence sentence that he got, I loved how that played out because, you know, it was, what, 30 years? It was symbolic, you know. I mean, they waited until the anniversary of... Yeah. I'm probably saying all this wrong. (laughs) No, yeah, it was the anniversary of his acquittal. Uh, Yeah, so they waited to make that. Uh uh, The judge purposefully, I guess, waited a day Mm -hmm. so it would be the anniversary. And then his sentence was symbolic. It worked out to be The numbers matched up to what the... yeah judgment for the original wrongful death suit was that he never ended up paying the 30 million yeah something like that yeah very symbolic but it was very i mean when you see what the details of the crime were in las vegas it was stupid it was so dumb and it was so minimal compared to the sentence that he got that it's like that really was a vindictive yeah sentence but it was the things that had happened between the time he was found not guilty and then that happening you know that book was published where he pretty much said you know if i was going to do this murder this is how i would Mm -hmm. do it so he was pretty much telling everyone how he did it yeah and in general most americans felt like he did it Mm -hmm. so when he was sentenced for that yes he got the maximum for each thing that he did wrong and i think that was he was being sentenced for nicole and ron's death Mm -hmm. not for the little thing the skirmish in las vegas Mm -hmm. that was just plain out weird Mm -hmm. and if he was not thinking straight he Mm -hmm. couldn't have been thinking straight to go into a situation like that 
he had to have known <clears throat> if he gets in trouble for any little infraction, mm-hmm. he will suffer the wrath of not being convicted before. Right. Then this is one of those areas where I felt actually sorry for him because his life after the acquittal, even though that felt like such a victory, you are not officially in trouble anymore for what you did, but everybody still pretty much thinks you did it and you are not going to work again in any of the fields that you were honored in before. Not anything respectable. Not anything respectable. So now you are relegated to, you know, having a cameo in a porn film and oh, hanging and out with these... Video. And the, Yeah, just... Oh. And, and the hanging around with these sketchy, sketchy people. But the girls that look <clears throat> Nicole, the young girls, how could you... And again, he's charming and can charm the socks off anyone when he turns it up, but how could you be with a man that you think probably killed his wife who looks just like you Mm -hmm. that's just so weird yeah it is deeply weird and so his future is really bleak and he's hanging around with all these sketchy people and the only tangible evidence he has of the person he used to be the hero that he used to be has been stolen out of storage facilities and auctioned off to whomever and so I really understood why he was so desperate to get some of those things back. I mean, you're this is what a football fan I am. What is the trophy with the guy? The Heisman Trophy. Thank you. The yeah. Heisman Trophy. <laughs> you know, the guy with the ball and he's running. Yeah. You would want to get those things back. It's the only evidence you have of who you used to be. Your house is gone. All your stuff is gone. Yeah. I could see why he would be really intent on getting those things back. But it was such a dumb goofy bunch of dads going into a hotel like a room. bad Las Vegas movie. Trying to, yeah, scare somebody, and it was just so it's dumb. So weird. And he probably would have given it to him. I mean, mm-hmm. there was no need to have like a gun or anything. I mean, he seemed like he yeah. was friendly with OJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was just ridiculous. And the fact that it was recorded on somebody's phone, that's how they were able to prove, okay, there was a gun and somebody was moved into the bathroom and that technically was kidnapping because you were falsely imprisoning somebody. Just a really stupid unfolding of events. But so he, you know, as I said early in his career, said, I'm not black, I'm OJ, Mm -hmm. and was really keeping his, the community that he came from at arm's length. Right. And so as I got to that part, I thought, well, why was everybody so quick to defend him then? You would think the black community would be more motivated than anybody to be like, so sad for you. Bye. Jail time. So they went into setting up some of the context around, you know, what was going on in L.A. in the early 90s. And there was the Rodney King beating, which was videotaped and turned into a whole big thing. And and the cops who did that didn't have any sort of consequences. Mm -hmm. And they were all cleared of any wrongdoing. And so that led to riots and all this anger in the community. And that's another thing that I, when I look back on it, when I was... I think I was like 17 or something when the L.A. riots happened. And I remember thinking at the time, why are they so mad at Korean people? (laughs) There was all this footage of like Korean groceries getting just smashed to smithereens. And I thought, why are they they mad at Korean people? They were grocery stores with guns. I understand why they're mad at white people. I don't understand what Korean people did wrong. And so one of the things that they told, one of the stories they told in this documentary was of a Korean shopkeeper Mm -hmm. around the same time who shot a girl. Natasha Harland. I had never heard that story before. I had never heard that story before. And And I don't know if it was just something that got... It didn't rise to the level of national news because everybody was so obsessed with the Rodney King thing. But it was clearly a well-known story in L.A. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, okay, so that explains why they were so mad at the Korean shop owners. 
Well, and then just years and years of being treated badly by the cops. You know, the Watts riots years before. Right. Um, you know, and Yeah, the, they went back even further. Yeah, <clears throat> the dichotomy of you have USC, the beautiful USC campus, but, you know, where OJ was. Mm-hmm. And then you right on the other side of the stadium wall, you have South Central LA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they said, like in the documentary, you didn't cross that line. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't safe to go out there, but that's where... The police were very brutal to the residents mm-hmm. of Los Angeles, and it was just years and years of abuse yeah. that built up. And I don't remember her name, but the woman who was killed over a, what, $39 power bill. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So you've got years up. and years of these things happening, it's like and a then you've keg. got the Rodney King beating on video, and those people are... Uh, all cleared of wrongdoing. Yes. You've got the shopkeeper who gets, I don't even remember what she got, but it was she didn't absurd. She did get anything. Nothing like a at slap all. slap on the ra- uh, probation, I guess, but no. Right. So there time. was a lot of anger over that. And, and so it was a teenager that, who didn't do anything. Who didn't, and she was shot and from behind. Was she was walking away. And it was on video. It's not even like it was disputed. Right. So you could see the anger just boiling higher and higher and higher. Yeah. And with Being that context, it didn't matter. You can see why somebody who, even if he wasn't a great friend to his black community for years and years, you can see why he would become symbolic of, all right, how's this one going to yeah. be handled? And what kind of justice do we get right. when we've seen them get all this kind of justice? And so I could see then why a dorm full of people watching that verdict could absolutely be thrilled with it, even if they think he did it, especially if they think he did it, because that means he's getting the same kind of justice that they saw all these cops get and this Korean shop owner get. That He wasn't found not guilty because he was not guilty, but he was found not guilty in spite of being guilty. I was glad they talked to the jurors and that several of the jurors were willing to talk to them because I felt like that was really important to the story to Mm -hmm. hear from them. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting that, you know, when they, um, because they'd been sequestered for so long and then when they only debated for that morning and came to a quick verdict and everyone was so surprised and the, the filmmaker asked, you know, how can you debate so many months of testimony and come to a decision so quickly and she said how many months and he responded and she said or days whatever the Mm -hmm. time period was she said it was that number of days that we were away from our homes and our families and Mm -hmm. I was ready to go home Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine going through that I mean that would be yes you want to give someone an honest trial and and participate but that's fully. a full exhausting day and you just go back to a hotel room where you can't even you can't talk about it with each other even you can't watch tv or read a paper call your family that would be devastating mm-hmm. yeah that's like a punishment <laughs> it really like, is yeah yeah one of the interesting things about talking to the jurors was that one of the jurors said, I'm not convinced that he didn't do it, but the prosecution didn't really do their job. Yeah, they messed it up. And that's said. true. There was like I felt five so different areas where, yeah, where it's just like you're blowing it. You're blowing it. Yeah. The burden of proof is on them. Even if the whole nation thinks they know what happened, right? the burden of proof is on them. And if they screw it up, then... yeah. And it was screwed up so many different ways. So many different ways. Yeah, where do you start? Yeah, I mean, Mark Furman, yeah. what a piece of shit. <laughs> and the glove. 
there's no reason for that to have been done on the spot right in front no. of everybody over a latex glove. And then it came out that they decided he should stop taking his arthritis yes. medication so yes. that his knuckles would be nice and swollen and exactly. gnarled. That was his, uh, OJ's decision. Yeah. So an- another surprise to me was that when it was all over with, uh, when he was acquitted, Everybody, his whole defense team, everybody packed up and went to his house. And there was like this big mm-hmm. like parade of people like, yay, OJ's back. Yeah. And went back to his house to pop the champagne and celebrate. But there was one member of his legal team who did not show up and did not want to have anything to do with any of it after that. Right. And I was surprised, but now his name escapes me. Shapiro? I don't think it was Shapiro. Maybe it was Shapiro. Anyway, he said that he was disappointed that they had brought race into it and really ridden that wave to, even though it was to the outcome that they wanted, Mm -hmm. he thought it was inappropriate to make that the case. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, too, that at one point when the jurors were going to be in the house for some reason, I don't remember why. Do you remember why the jurors were in his house? They took them to the murder scene, and since they took them to the murder scene, the defense team asked that they also be taken to his house where they found the glove. But that's right. It didn't, like Marshall Clark said, it didn't make sense for them to go inside the house. There wasn't any evidence that was found inside the house, but the defense team was able to arrange that they had so a tour So it was like a house. tour, like Graceland. Yeah. And they had changed out the pictures. There were photos throughout his house of O.J. posing with, uh, you know, Bill Clinton. O.J. posing with this important white guy. Mm-hmm. O.J. shaking hands with that white guy he plays golf with. And with Nicole's family. And with Nicole's family. And they went through and changed all those out to um, make him look, you know, a little more like he was from the community. And That's playing a game. Yeah. Very, very shady. But oh, So it was two. Okay, so the, I'm sorry, back to that time frame. It was actually 267 days of trial. God. And her response was it was 266 nights at the hotel. Yeah. That's nine, unbelievable. Nine months. Yeah, that's wild. But, I mean, if he had been found guilty, can you imagine what sort of riot would have happened then? Understandably. Yeah. After Rodney King and... And with the Hallmark Furman thing. And with the trial being broadcast and everyone, you know, saying, Mark Furman, there's been this doubt cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if he was found guilty, I think there would have been bedlam. Yeah. Even though he got that hefty sentence for the eventual happenings in Las Vegas, he it turned out would be eligible for parole in a fairly short amount of time. And that's coming up <laughs> yeah, this, in um, just a few months, October. October. <laughs> so I, it sounds like he's a model inmate that he's just checking all the boxes for what to do if you want to get paroled. So yeah. I wonder what will become of him if he is paroled. <laughs> I don't know. There's a theory that wasn't explored in the documentary that I thought about that I think is worth mentioning. There's been a lot in the press about uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the CTE where neurological damage can occur from constant trauma to the brain. Mm-hmm. So more and more there's talk of, you know, what happens to NFL players mm-hmm. over time, especially as they age. Mm-hmm. And what does the damage to the brain cause them to do? You know, how does it affect their behavior? And the guy that originally discovered this disease, he has gone on record saying that he believes that OJ has that. He said he thought that OJ was more likely than not suffering from CTE. I don't think that we should look for reasons to justify how he behaved, especially, you know, with Nicole and Ron. But I do think it's a plausible 
explanation of some of his erratic behavior later, you know, Mm -hmm. and bad decisions. But some of the information that I was uh, researching, there's a USA Today database on NFL arrests that go back to the year 2000. And out of 847 total arrests, 100 were for domestic violence. Mm. That's not all the violent ones, though. If you add all those in, you've got three additional ones for murder, and one was a girlfriend's. Mm. Three for manslaughter, and one was the death of a girlfriend's child. Four were for sexual assault, one sexual battery. Six for animal assault or animal cruelty. 82 for assault. And then one for attempted murder and 21 for battery. So when you look at all of those, I mean, that's a pretty high instance. But uh, it's almost a chicken-egg thing. Is it because violent people tend to play sports or because playing sports makes you violent? That's that's a good question. You know, through head injury or whatever. Definitely the culture of American football, mm-hmm. I think, promotes aggressive behavior. If you... Google what role does football play in violent culture. Mm -hmm. Numerous studies actually come up, as well as articles written about those studies. Mm -hmm. You know, one was NYU's effects of participation in sports on men's aggressive and violent behaviors, Hmm. which is an interesting read if you're ever bored. (laughs) Insomnia. (laughs) But I don't think, well, I don't know. There have been a lot of articles and documentaries, Mm -hmm. television shows, etc. about CTE. Mm -hmm. There was even the movie last year, Will Smith, Mm -hmm. the movie Concussion, where he played Ben Amalu, I think is his name, where he played the guy who discovered the disease Mm -hmm. and then went head-to-head with the NFL to get the NFL to recognize. Right. And even Will Smith is quoted as saying, you know, I thought concussion would have had a bigger impact. I knew it would be hard because people love the game, but the science is so overwhelming and it's something that we really need to take a look at. I thought that people would get behind the mission of that. And I was surprised that people were absolutely like, I'm not stopping watching football, so I don't want to know. Mm. So people turned a blind eye. They still do. I think people don't care about the science. Mm -hmm. They just want to watch football and be entertained. And I think a lot of people feel like these people are making millions of dollars, so they're being compensated for this, so I don't care. And it's kind of like a gladiator kind of thing. We, Mm -hmm. We like the violence as a society and as a culture. And, you know, back to your point, starting when kids are young, football players are cultivated to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. So it is a chicken and egg thing. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, they're famous and they're looked up to. You know, like, especially in OJ's case, they do tend to get away with things. Yeah. What was interesting to me about his childhood friendships was there were at least two guys who were still friends with him for yeah. years and years who were childhood friends. Right. And I think one was his cousin. Was one his was, cousin? I, don't, I thought it was his cousin. Maybe not. Okay, so now it's all cloudy to me. But the one whose... Al Callings was... Girlfriend he stole. That's Al Callings. And that's yeah. the one who was driving the Bronco, right? Yeah. Okay, so he remained very close with him yeah. despite the stolen girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, like, super loyal. Right. Then there was the other friend who, as they all grew and went in their different directions in life, but stayed friends, this friend became a cop. Oh, Ron Ship. Was that his name? Yeah, the real sweet guy. Yeah. Yeah. Freckle face. Yeah. 
He became a cop, and he said that he became fairly suspicious fairly early on that O.J. was responsible for these deaths. He just wanted to distance himself from O.J. He didn't want to get involved in any of the prosecution or anything. And then Chris Darden called him to his office at one point, and as soon as he sat down with him, he had to go leave and take a phone call. So he said that while he was sitting there waiting for him to come back, he saw there was a binder on his desk, and it said Nicole Simpson and Ron Brown on it. And so he started looking through it, or Ron Goldman. So he started looking through it, and it was all these pictures of Nicole, you know, in her life and with her kids and looking really happy. And then he turned the page, and it went immediately into crime scene photos. And he said he decided right then he had to get involved. So he closed the binder. Chris Darden comes back into the room, and before Chris Darden can even make his case for why you need to help with the prosecution... Mr. Ship said, I'm going to help. I'll testify. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And what a painful situation for him to find himself in because this was his friend for years and years and years, like close friend. And then to find himself in the position of having to testify against him. And I remember the point in the documentary when he said he realized that OJ was guilty mm-hmm. because OJ was changing his story. When yeah. People would ask him a specific question, and he saw other people ask the same question, and each time it was a different answer. Mm-hmm. And he realized he was guilty, and that's when he started distancing himself. But then what I thought was most tragic about him, and I really thought he was one of the most compelling people in the whole story because I just felt he was really genuine and sweet and trying to do the right thing. But when he did testify and they vilified him on the stand and turned it into, you know, you've had a drinking problem Mm -hmm. and you had sex with other women besides your wife as part Mm -hmm. of being a friend of OJ's and stuff like that, they really just tore him down. I felt so bad for him because Mm -hmm. it have negated his testimony. Mm-hmm. And you could certainly understand why he wouldn't want to get involved to that degree. Yeah. Even if he knew well enough to distance himself from OJ, why he would hesitate to get up on the stand and testify. Oh, yeah. And then he said other people were supposed to testify after him and after they saw what the lawyers did to him, then they all changed their mind. Yeah. Very sad. And another surprise to me was how casual the relationship between Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson was. I had it in my head that they were at least on a date or I think that may have been how the news portrayed it at first, because I do remember that, too. Right. But then... That um, they weren't in a relationship. Not at but all. They, I still had it in my head somehow that they had been on a date or were... I, I don't know. But it was just like he came by to drop off some glasses. Yeah. That's super tragic. I mean, how hard for his family... To have been caught up in all of this for only that reason, that he was just bringing home Nicole's mother's glasses. That she'd left on the table. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, so it's just a much more complex story than I ever gave it credit for, and I feel like I understand so much better now the reactions that totally baffled me back then. Yeah. And again, I think it's a very timely Mm -hmm. thing to talk about right now because... Uh, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. I think this history that's happened in L.A. is important to understand mm-hmm. because I think we're seeing it on a much larger scale now mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we still see justice doled out in very different ways to very different people. Yeah. 
I, that's something that my eyes weren't open to then at all. And I feel like there are people who very willfully keep their eyes closed to it now, you know? And I don't know what the difference is. Well, maybe having it introduced in a topic like O.J. Simpson in football mm-hmm. will get more people to understand a little more about what life might be like for other people. Yeah. So, I mean, in that respect, I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. The ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries, I mean, <laughs> maybe we should check more of them out. Yeah, I've heard who knew? They're really good. Yeah. Some of these uh, sports stories, even if it's not a sport we're interested in. And, I mean, football for me has been more of a in-the-past kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never been a huge fan, but I've been around it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't understand it at all, which is, you know, why I wasn't entirely sure I would enjoy, like, I might want to fast forward through the football parts and, like, get, let's get to the murder. Yeah. <laughs> but it was all so interesting. I uh-huh. felt like you didn't have to be a football fan at all to understand yeah. why he was such a big deal. Back to the whole football as part of the American culture thing, one thing that I thought was interesting is very early in the documentary, one of the quotes from one of the older white guys, I don't remember who he was, (laughs) he was talking about how important football is to USC. Mm -hmm. He said, it's not a matter of life or death. It's much more important than that. (laughs) And I feel like that sums up football for American culture. Yeah. And so OJ was just God. Yeah, because he was like the best at football, Mm -hmm. which made him like the best at everything. And just an all around amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah. Comparing it with what we talked about last week with Audrey and Daisy, the mayor opening with his statement of, well, last year, our high school team got state, Mm -hmm. and then none of the football teams in our town lost any games. Yeah. At all last year. I mean, that's how he introduces his town. Yeah. Or at least it could have been editing. I just, like even my college didn't have a football team. So I just feel like I never understood the whole thing. Thank God I did not grow up in a small Texas town because I would, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if I had, I probably would know a lot more about it. But I just, I would feel so out of place. I don't understand the appeal of the game. I don't understand. Yeah. Any of my, it. In my hometown, people my age are still, they don't have any tie to the high school, but they're still there every Friday night watching the football games. Mm. I mean, it's just the town. It's the whole community. And yeah. even when I was in high school, I mean, I was in the band, so I was at the football games. <laughs> but my senior year, I wasn't in the band and would go to the games and just, we wouldn't be watching the game. We would just be right. talking to other people who mm-hmm. were just there for the social interaction. <laughs> right. Not a lot else to do in a small town. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I loved the documentary. I thought it was an important story. Fascinating story. Yeah, Um, I did too. I thought it was very thorough and very good about explaining some very complex things. And the only thing that it left me wondering is he didn't seem to have a whole lot of regard for their kids. Yeah. And uh, there wasn't, um, I mean, OJ himself didn't seem to have a whole lot of regard for how things shook out for them. And I I didn't feel like I learned anything about how they're doing. There's not a lot out there Mm -hmm. about them right now. There's a little bit. I did a quick search and Sydney was eight when her mother was killed and she's 31 now and she lives in St. Petersburg, Florida. There aren't a lot of photos, you know, because you, usually you would think paparazzi would be following these kids around their whole lives. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of photos and stuff. They were raised by Nicole's family, mm-hmm. according to the Los Angeles Times, and they lived normal lives, which is good. That yeah. makes me happier. So Sydney, the girl, she lives in St. Petersburg and I guess uh, owns some rental properties. Mm-hmm. And Justin, her brother, was five when it happened. And he also lives in St. Petersburg and he's a realtor. Hmm. So 
It sounds like they have somewhat normal lives. Do they have any sort of a relationship with him? I don't know. Hmm. But it sounds like they do with Nicole's family. Well, that's so. good. Um, there were some but pictures I, of him, like, teaching her to golf and do different things. And so I don't know. Hmm. There were lots of photos and, you know, video clips and stuff of them before and after her murder. And just, they, I don't know, I just got the impression that he felt like they were in the way. <laughs> he didn't seem especially tender toward them. Yeah. Even when they were grieving. So I thought, where are they now? Are they okay? Yeah. I'm glad they've had a continuing relationship with her family, but that's got to be awkward if you were raised by your murdered mother's family. Right. And they're pretty sure your dad did it. Yeah. That would be awkward. Yeah. Especially if he's maintaining his innocence, and you really would hope as his daughter that he's innocent. Yeah. And there's always going to be this controversy mm-hmm. surrounding their parents. So I guess best case scenario, if he gets paroled, he will willingly participate in clinical trials related to the encephalopathy. That would be... (laughs) Although I I gather that that's the kind of thing you can't really diagnose unless you have a cadaver brain. I don't think you can diagnose it with a person. Yeah, sadly, I mean, you read stories about uh, former NFL players committing suicide, but they leave a note to please... They they do it in such a way to preserve their brain so that it can be studied afterwards. (sighs) Because they know that's why. Yeah. If there's any helpful study to be done on a living person, though, I hope he would at least do that to salvage Mm -hmm. some kind of meaning from his life. Yeah. I don't know. Do do something to be involved with the kids. Stay away from sketchy people and do not go to Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas. (laughs) There's nothing good going to happen there. (laughs) It doesn't stay in Vegas. (laughs) No, it doesn't. (laughs) I could watch this over and over. I've actually watched the whole series twice now. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah. Wow. Because I watched it before, and then when I knew we would talk about it, I watched it again. And had my that's smart. I need to start watching things twice. There was something else that you watched twice that I thought, oh, that's smart. Oh, it was the killing The killing, season. yeah. Yeah. If I hadn't watched it twice, I would have just not been... Yeah, because I was so distracted by that <laughs> filmmaker. I should have watched it a second time so I could actually pay attention yeah. to what was going on. So, um... Let's end on my high note. Okay. You first. Another show and tell. (laughs) I had an iPad that I had gotten in 2011. It was an iPad 2. So it was a few years old. Yeah. And it was hardly usable. I mean, it would do a few things. I checked email. I could open a few websites, etc. But besides those two things, the only other thing that I would do is Facebook Mm -hmm. for the most part. And it was so old that when I would try to use it for Facebook... And any sort of video or like an external link or anything would come up. I would not be able to open those things because there wouldn't be enough memory. Mm. And it would just blow up the app and kick me out. So Mm -hmm. it was really frustrating to try to use. So I started looking around and new iPads, what, $400 plus just to start. Mm. And I started thinking, I don't really need an iPad Mm -hmm. for just email and browser and Facebook. So I checked out a Kindle and got this Kindle, it's an 8-inch Kindle Fire HD with Wi-Fi, which is all I need. And I got this for $89 and was able to turn around and sell my iPad for $99 on eBay. What? Yeah. Like my So you got paid $10 to upgrade to old. a faster... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Like, before the eBay fees, but still. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I am thrilled with this. It's so much faster. It's lighter. It does everything that I need for it to do. Mm -hmm. If you're in the market for tablets and don't need it for much more than basic stuff, totally recommend the Fire. Hmm. 
Nice. Very happy with it. I'm glad yeah. that I went this route instead of trying to get a new iPad. And that was only $89? $89. Nice. You can even get them cheaper than that. This is the upgraded hard drive. Oh. It was on sale right before Christmas when uh-huh. I bought it. Very cool. Um, okay, so the thing making me happy, or my high note... <laughs> Thank you. Say ending. Is the movie Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele, written, and I guess, and directed by Jordan Peele. And uh, my husband and I are big Key and Peele fans. They just, we miss their show so much. They're both so funny and just smart, and we just miss their show a lot. And so when I saw that Jordan Peele had a movie coming out, I was there, no matter what it turned out to be. And my husband was a little more skeptical and thought, you know, it might be kind of, it's a horror movie and like, that's not really our thing. So I don't really know if I want to see it. And then we saw that on Rotten Tomatoes, it got 100%, which, you know, doesn't happen very often. Right. And so he was like, all right, well, let's go see it then. And it's just so good. And so, like I said, we're not usually into horror movies, so this is not usually our genre. But I heard an interview with him recently where he described it as a social thriller Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the vein of Stepford Wives. Mm -hmm. And so it involves a black man who's dating a white woman and who is preparing to be brought to her parents' house to meet her parents. And he wants to know from her, have you told them that I'm black? And she said, no. And should I? Why do you think they would care? And he's like really apprehensive about that. And he's just not sure how it's going to go. And so the whole movie is based on his experiences when he's brought to their house to meet them and things are not as they seem and you know there are people other black characters that he meets while he's there and he's Mm -hmm. trying to figure them out and I I can't say a whole lot about it without giving something away but it's just full of surprises and full of it's just suspenseful in the way that you want a horror movie to be but it's also got some social commentary in there about what it's like to be the black guy in a room full of white people yeah, and the things people will say to you and what it's like to then encounter another black person and feel like you are yeah. have some kinship with them and it turns out you don't. It's just, the whole thing is just really well done and it's, so it's got a lot of social commentary in there but without being preachy and heavy handed. It's just really, really well done. And there's twists in it that you just think, oh my, as soon as it happens, you think, well, now I need to watch the whole movie all over again <laughs> to see if I could see that coming. I've been really wanting to watch it, but yeah. I just haven't had a chance to go see. Yeah, so. it's really good. And we don't usually like to see a movie when it first opens because it's crowded and, you know, it's just kind of a pain to be like squeezed in between people. And so we saw this probably two weeks after it first was released, mm-hmm. but it's had a weird trajectory that, you know, most movies, when they come out, everybody rushes to see it at first, and then the numbers drop after yeah. that. This one, a lot of people came to see it the first weekend, and then it got a lot of buzz in the next couple of weeks, and so more people came after. So we ended up in a full theater anyway, even waiting two weeks to see it. Yeah. But that turned out to be part of the fun of the experience, because everybody was jumping at the same things, <laughs> and everybody was like shaking their heads at the same things like don't go in there don't go (laughs) get out yeah it is yeah exactly and it is kind of a fun experience to share that sort of like roller coaster of emotions with a room full of people that was definitely a high note for us so go see it if you haven't already and if you have seen it go see it again (laughs) (laughs) good all right well i think that wraps it up this week yeah please visit our facebook page at talkumentaries as well as talkumentaries.com let us know what you think and also look us up on itunes and be sure to subscribe rate and review yeah and tell us what we should watch next yeah we'd love to hear from you see you next week bye bye